The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Just a couple of things to remind you of. There's a table set up in the lobby foyer. There'll be folks out there. You can get additional information about the Tim Kimmel Conference. It's on uh, Friday evening and Saturday morning, November 16 and 17. If you registered last year, it applies this year. But if you desire child care for kids five and under, then you need to make reservations uh, for that. Here's a great opportunity for you. If you're a parent to participate, I guarantee you'd be time well spent. If you're a grandparent, what a great opportunity to send your kids to it. You keep the grandkids so they can learn how to parent those grandkids for us, right? Beautiful uh, days of rain, which uh, we certainly needed. The Lord blesses us and replenishes the earth as we sing about in one of our earlier songs. We're doing a series, Prophets and Kings. We're looking at Old Testament kings and prophets and the interplay between the two, and uh, specifically how God used the prophets in the lives of the kings. This morning, we're going to look at uh, two kings and a queen in a message I've entitled, A Trilogy of Trouble. Beginning in chapter 22, verse 2, it says, Isaiah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. Verse 3, he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. If you've been with us for the last few weeks, the ways of Ahab are wicked ways. He walked in the ways of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. Father, as we look at this uh, trilogy of trouble, these kings and this queen who failed miserably, God, our desire is not to fail you. Our desire is to walk with you and honor you with our lives. So teach us through these examples in Christ's name. Amen. Sometimes you read something and you go, huh, really? Is that true? I mean, you read a newspaper headline, you read something magazine or something online, and and you you scratch your head and go, really, I I can't believe that, or huh, or uh, gosh, I, I, I don't know about that. If you Google up weird newspaper headlines, there are thousands of those things that come up, thousands of them. Here are just a few of them. Uh, miracle cure kills fifth patient. That's quite a headline. Then you scratch your head and go, huh? Uh, really? I, I don't want that miracle cure or whatever it is. Uh, here's one. Weight Watchers demonstrator shoplifts cupcakes. <laughs> huh? Really? I mean, that's what you do if you're a Weight Watcher demonstrator. Uh, here's one. Family pride cleaner, 10% off dry cleaning, over $10.00. Tailoring instead of monograms, it says mammograms and shoe repair. <laughs> Ladies, if I were you, I wouldn't go to the cleaners to get my mammogram. I'm going to tell you that, okay? Uh, here's one. Mississippi's literacy program shows improvement. Look how Mississippi is spelled. <laughs> how many of you from Mississippi out there? Raise your hands. Let me see you. There you go. You won't admit it, will you? I mean, in that you know how true that is if you do it. This is my favorite one. Deborah Jackson says she likes shopping at Dollar Palace. It's convenient and casual. I'd have to get all dressed up like I'm going to Walmart or something. <laughs> huh? Really? Really? I mean, when we look at Second Chronicles 22, 23, and 24, we scratch our heads and we go, really? Huh? Because if we were writing the headlines of these chapters, there might be three headlines. The first one reads, Grandmother Murders Grandchildren Seizes Throne. Next headline would read, Seven-Year-Old Crowned King. Next headline would read, King Murders Stepbrother for Calling Him to Repentance. Those are the headlines of those three chapters. 
I mean, these people are royal failures. This is royalty failing royally. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at royalty failing royally. You scratch your head and you go, huh? I mean, the stuff we're going to look at in Second Chronicles 22, 23, and 24 makes Jerry Springer's show look like Sesame Street. I mean, that's what we're looking at. We're looking at stuff that is so nasty and so wrong, you have to scratch your head and go, really? Huh? This can't be happening. That's what we see in the scriptures in front of us. Let's, uh, let me remind you that the nation of Israel's first king was a guy named Saul, second king was David, third king was Solomon. Because Solomon had walked away from God in many ways, and he, his demise was before him, and he compromised. God said, after you die, the nation's going to be split. And so the nation was split into, it's called the divided kingdom. You can see it on the map in front of you. The divided kingdom had Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Israel to the north contained ten tribes. Judah to the south contained two tribes, the tribes of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. The, tribe to the, the, the northern kingdom was more populous. It was stronger than the southern kingdom. Uh, Judah was weaker. Last week we looked at a guy named Jehoshaphat who ruled over the southern kingdom in Judah. And the ones we're going to look at today follow in that pattern. We're going to look at rulers over the southern kingdom in Judah. And when we look at this, we're going to scratch our heads and think, wow, this indeed is a trilogy of trouble. The, this is royalty that failed royally. It, it begins with a story that we just read. It's a story of a guy named Isaiah. And it begins by looking at one mean mama. One mean mama. She made sure that generational sin took place in her family. In verse 2 it says he was 22 years old when he became king. Now that in itself is a problem, isn't it? How many, how many of you are 22 out there? Got a few 22-year-olds, several over here. Are some of our college guys taking a victory lap next uh, fifth semester, fifth year out there, and uh, taking that victory lap? What do 22-year-old guys think about? What do 22-year-old guys think about? They think about adventure, and they think about women. And this guy's going to be the king. This guy's going to be the king. Well, if you note, he only reigns for one year. If you look at verse 2, it says, He was 22 years old, and he became king, and he reigned for one year. What happened to him? Well, a couple of things happened to him. First of all, he had one mean mama. If you look at verse 3, it says, He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. In fact, if you look in front of you, I've got three different translations. I just read the New American Standard. His mother was his counselor to do wickedly. His mother encouraged him to act wickedly. If you hold the NIV, that's what it says. If you've got the message in front of you, his mother trained him in evil ways. May I submit to you that a 22-year-old doesn't have to be trained in how to do evil. I mean, it comes quite naturally to all of us, and here's this 22-year-old, and he's got a mama who's saying, let me teach you, my son, how to sin. Let me teach you how to worship false gods. Let me teach you how to run a kingdom so that you have all the power that you desire. Let me teach you how to do injustice and how to sin. His mother, as the scriptures say, trained him in evil ways. You're thinking, who's the mama here? Well, the mama's an interesting gal. Her name is Athaliah. Last week we studied Jehoshaphat. In fact, we need a program to know who the players are. The program is in front of you with the players. Jehoshaphat was a godly king ruling over Judah to the south. Uh, To the north at that time was an ungodly king named Ahab. He was married to an equally wicked woman. Her name was what? Do you remember? Jezebel. And so Ahab and Jezebel have a daughter. Her name is Athaliah. Jehoshaphat has a son. His name is Jehoram. 
One of the things that Jehoshaphat did, even though he was a godly king, we talked last week about compromise. He compromised three ways. He compromised by forming an alliance in the marketplace he shouldn't have, with the military he shouldn't have, in a marriage he shouldn't have. The marriage compromise was that he arranged for his son Jehoram to marry the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel named Athaliah. Even though they were unequally yoked, he arranged the marriage for political purposes so that he could be spared, his kingdom could be spared. And so what you have is an ungodly woman, Athaliah, being married off by, to, to Jehoram by the godly father Jehoshaphat. And it was a mess. It was a mess. And so the scriptures tell us that this king, Isaiah, receives ungodly counsel. This is the king down here at the very bottom. Isaiah receives ungodly counsel from his mama. His mama is Athaliah, who is the daughter of Ahab and the daughter of Jezebel. She is repeating generational sin. How do you... How do you squash generational sin? Scriptures tell us if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, new things have come. The way that you rid your life of generational sin is by trusting Christ as your Savior. Two quick applications, then we'll move on. First of all, the generational impact of sin and compromise can be devastating. The generational impact of your sin... And your compromise can be devastating. Some of you have families where you had a parent that was sexually unfaithful, your family was ripped apart, and you are suffering the generational impact of that parent. Some of you grew up in homes where you had an alcoholic mom or a dad or an alcoholic grandparent, and you are suffering the generational, suffering the generational impact of that sin. Some of you grew up with abusive parents or an abusive parent, an angry parent, or parents, a mean parent, a rude parent, and you have experienced the impact of generational sin. How do you break that generational sin? You break that generational sin by becoming a new creature in Christ, and you can be the start of a new generation that loves Jesus, walks with Jesus, honors Jesus, and takes a stand that in our family, because of Jesus, we are not going to go the way of alcohol. We're not going to go the way of divorce. We're not going to go the way of unfaithfulness. We're not going to do that because Jesus is who we love, and Jesus is who we walk with. The things you become passionate about, oftentimes your kids become passionate about. I mean, if you're passionate about hunting, oftentimes your sons will become hunters. If you're passionate about decorating and accessorizing, oftentimes your daughters become passionate about decorating and accessorizing. If you're passionate about Dallas Cowboy football, you teach your kids to cheer for another team because they break your heart every year. (laughs) The generational impact of sin and compromise is broken when we walk with Jesus. Some of you know the pain I've just referred to. You can break that within your family by trusting Jesus, walking with Jesus, honoring Jesus, and standing up for Jesus. You break the cycle of generational sin by confessing and seeking forgiveness and then modeling Jesus to others. Second application. There's also the generational impact of a godly parent. I mean, we've talked about the negative so far, but there's also the positive The positive is godly parents can impact kids and generations in great ways. Many of us grew up with a godly mom or a godly dad or godly parents. How many of you had at least one godly parent in your family? Let me see your hand. Raise them high, keep them high. See, a lot of us didn't have that. Many of us did. And if you grew up with a godly parent, here's a great application for you. Man, they might be sitting with you today. If they're sitting with you, you've got a godly mom or daddy who's here with you, it would be a great time to reach over and give them a hug right now. You're a young guy or a young gal. You reach over, give that mom, give that dad a hug, and thank God for them. 
Or maybe you're like I am. This past week I called my folks as I was preparing this message and I said, I just want to thank you for modeling Jesus to me my entire life. Thank you for doing that. My mom was a godly woman who walked with Jesus since I was born, since before I was born. So you are blessed if you have that. I read an article this past week. Someone sent me, it's a lady who wrote this article back in the uh, late 70s. It's titled, I Had the Meanest Mom in the World. She said, I had the meanest mom in the whole world. While other kids ate candy for breakfast, I had to have cereal, eggs, or toast. While other kids had Cokes and candy for lunch, I had to eat a sandwich with chips. My supper was different than all my friends' supper as well. We actually sat together and had supper as a family. I had the meanest mom in the whole world. My mom insisted on knowing where I was at all the time. She didn't know who my friends were and where we were going. I am nearly ashamed to admit it. My mom has actually struck each of us more than one time. When we sassed or disobeyed, she actually hit us. Can you imagine that? I've got the meanest mom in the whole world. We had to wear clean clothes. We had to take baths every night. And the height of insults is we had to go to bed at 9 o'clock on school nights and couldn't sleep in on weekends. She even broke child labor laws by making us doing chores every day. I had the meanest mom in the whole world. She goes on, but then here's how she concludes. Using this as a background, I'm trying to raise my three children. I stand a little taller and I'm filled with pride when my children look at me and call me a mean mama. Because you see, I thank God he gave me the meanest mama in the whole world. Isn't that a blessing? Well, this gal was not like that. This was actually a real mean mama. She taught her son how to sin. The result of that is he listened not only to her counsel, but other ungodly counsels. If you look at verse 4 or verse 3, it says he walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. Verse 4, he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Like the house of Ahab, they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. If you look all the way down at verse 9, they sought Ahaziah the king. He only ruled for one year. They found him and they put him to death. I would submit to you there was not a whole lot of mourning when this king died. There was a relief. By the way, that's a great question we should ask ourselves when we finally pass away. Will people cry tears of sorrow or tears of joy? Will they? Depends on the life you are living. Well, you'd have to say, as I was a royal failure, you had a mama who taught him how to do wicked things, and he listened to ungodly counsel, and he did wicked things, and then finally he was assassinated. Then you've got the failure of Athaliah. Athaliah is his mama who was teaching him how to do evil. I've already shown you that she's a chip off the old block. She is participating in generational sin. I showed you on that chart before you that she is the result of Ahab, and she is the result of Jezebel, and they were wicked people. The scriptures say about her dad, Ahab was the son of Omri. He did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So she was carrying on generational curse, generational sin. She was a wicked woman. How wicked was she? You're not going to believe what happens next. She's a grandma who murders her grandkids. If you look at what happens in verse 10 of chapter 22, it says, When Athaliah, the mother of the king, saw that her son was dead, she rose up and she destroyed all the royal offspring of the house of Judah. Her son, the king, dies. She finds his offspring who would be the rightful rulers. They are the ones who would be heirs to the throne. And she calls him in and says, Grandma wants to talk to you. And instead of talking to them, she kills him. She has him murdered. 
Instead of being a grandma who loved her grandkids, who cared for her grandkids, who protected her grandkids, she was intoxicated with a desire for position, a desire for power. She concocts a diabolical scheme. She brings them somehow into her throne room, and rather than caring for them, she kills them. She kills them. Some of you, this is painful. You had grandparents like that. They did not physically kill you, but emotionally they did. You had abusive grandparents, mean grandparents, hateful grandparents, and I apologize. I'm so sorry for you. Because that's not the way a grandparent should live life. Grandparents should love and protect and care for their grandkids. The tragedy, I mean, it's just nasty. She brings her grandkids in. She destroys them all. Verses 11 and 12 teach us, though, that one survives. In verses 11 and 12, the king's daughter, her name is Jehoshabeth, she found her brother Joash, She stole him from the king's sons who were being murdered. She placed him in his nurse in a bedroom. And if you look at the end of verse 11, she hid him from grandma so that she would not put him to death. I told you this was sick. I mean, she's sick. Here's a grandma rounding up her grandkids to murder them all because she wants to be the queen and she doesn't want them, the rightful heirs, to be anywhere around because if they're around, they could claim the throne room, but if they're dead, then she can become the queen. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. In verse 12 it says, And so they hid Joash with them in the house of God six years while Athaliah the grandma reigned over Judah. I mean, this is just a tragedy. Grandma stalking grandchildren to be kind to them, sit in my lap, I'll give you some candy. Instead, she places the sword right into their ribs. We don't know how it happened, but somehow it happened. You know, Bev and I became grandparents. It would be six years ago uh, next month. And I, I can't imagine this. We will do anything. We've got five grandkids. We'll do anything for those grandkids. We keep them all the time. They're germ factories. I've been sick more since we had grandkids and my whole life. We'll keep them anytime. We'll go there anytime. I mean, we love our grandkids just as most of your grandparents. In fact, I agree with Bill Cosby who said, if I'd have known grandkids were so much fun, I'd have started with them first. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes it's not easy being a grandkid. Uh, Jackson, one of our uh, grandsons, we were, I forget, several months ago now, we're doing something, and he said, Papadil, how old are you? And he said, Jackson, 57. I'll be 58 this year quiet for a minute, and then he looked at me and said, did you start at one? (laughs) Slapped him upside his head. (laughs) One of the king's sons survives. His name is Joash. And Joash goes from the orphanage to the palace. What happens is grandma is found out, she is taken out, but she reigns for seven years. And then an amazing thing happens. Joash goes from the orphanage to the palace. This is one of those verses you read and you scratch your head and you go, really, huh? Look at chapter 24, verse 1. Really? Joash was how old? Seven years old when he became king. Not a misprint. 24-1. Seven years old and he's king. Now, honestly, I've seen a lot of seven-year-olds who think they're king. And honestly, I've seen a lot of seven-year-olds who are the kings of their houses. And that's wrong. That's wrong. If you're a parent with little kids, 
one of the one of the things that that I think we've got to deal with in our generation. Come to Tim Kimmel, he'll talk about raising great kids. You need to be certainly need to be a friend to your kid, but you better be a parent to your kid first. And when a seven-year-old rules the roost, that's a scary thing to be seven years old in charge of your own world. Seven-year-olds don't need to be making adult decisions. Well, a seven-year-old can't rule a kingdom. Obviously, somebody has to prop them up. Somebody has to make decisions. Somebody has to help them. And so that somebody is a guy named Jehoiada. Look at verse 2 of chapter 24. And Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, that, that verse is an interesting verse. It's, it's a positive and a negative both. It's really positive. Because Jehoiada is a godly man. Jehoiada the priest becomes a mentor to Joash, the seven-year-old king. In fact, it's really a positive because Jehoiada is a godly guy. In fact, if you back up to chapter 23, 16, it says Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and the people and the king and said that they should be the Lord's people. In verse 17, they destroyed all the houses of Baal. They tore them down. They broke down the altars. And in verse 18, Jehoiada placed the offices of the house of the Lord under the authority of the Levitical priest. Basically, there's revival in the land because of Jehoiada, the godly priest. He goes in and says, we're going to be God's people again. He goes in and says, we're going to destroy these false idols again. We're going to get rid of all these houses of worship to false gods. And we're going to follow the true God. And we're going to lead the nation into repentance and reform the way they should be. And so godly Jehoiada becomes a mentor to the seven-year-old Joash. And that's a great thing. By the way, if you have a godly mentor in your life, somebody who is leading that small group and shepherding you, somebody who has mentored you, somebody who has discipled you, you are a blessed man or woman. In fact, here's an application for you. There's somebody in your life that has shepherded you, poured into you this week. Why don't you do something special for them? And I'm not talking, I, I, we don't need anything special for us. We're well taken care of. Do that to the person who leads your small group, teaches your class. You know, keep their kids and send them out on a date or, or take them to lunch or drop a card in the mail or send flowers to them. They have invested in your life. They open up their homes. They open up their hearts. This is a great time to honor them for what God has done in your life through them. You're blessed. You're blessed. By the way, we need more godly mentors all the time. We need people who are going to pick up a load and shepherd folks. We are intentionally staff lean at TBC. There are 11 of us on senior pastoral staff. That's it. No more. Because our desire and expectation is for you to shepherd folks in the body, to be equipped, trained, and shepherd as well. If you're equipped and you've been making excuses for, you know, for years, uh, you know, whatever it might be, your career, your family, your kids, your whatever else, now's the time to pick up a load. We've got over 3,000 folks every single Sunday at TBC, and we need folks to come along to shepherd. We need you to start Bible studies and shepherd the folks in your neighborhood that work with you, whose kids are on soccer teams with your kids. We need, we need you to shepherd our kids in Sunday school classes, our youth, our singles, our college kids god has left you here for a purpose and that's to serve him that's to serve him and so fine we'll help you you email email me this week you're trained and equipped we'll do that if you need to be trained and equipped email me we'll make sure that happens so he is blessed he's got a godly man who's mentoring him but there's also a negative side to this verse if you look at that verse 24 2 he did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. All the days of Jehoiada. When Jehoiada died, he quit following Jehovah. His eyes were fixed upon a man rather than God. 
As long as Jehoiada was around, he was good. In fact, we're going to see three things that contributed to the demise of Joash and can contribute to the demise of people spiritually today. Number one, when we begin to please man and not God. You are on a slippery slope spiritually when your focus becomes a man and not God. And that's what happened here. He followed the Lord all the days that Jehoiada the priest was around. The sad thing is when Jehoiada the priest was gone, this godly mentor, this this godly disciple maker, he had been snared, that is, Joash had been snared by a subtle scheme of Satan. Subtle scheme of Satan, that didn't come out right. And what had happened is Joash was focused upon a man and not God. Instead of focusing on Jehovah, he focused on Jehoiada. And the result of that is whenever that godly mentor died, he quit walking with God. Same thing happens today. You've got a godly man, godly woman pours into your life. They die, they move away, they become part of something else, and you feel abandoned and alone, and your walk with God is not what it should be. The scriptures say that's not what God wants for you. What happens? He turns his back on the ways of God. He brings new counselors in. If you drop all the way down to verse 17, and by the way, Jehoiada was a godly man. Look at verse 16. They buried Jehoiada in the city of David among the kings because he'd done well in Israel to God and to his house. He was a godly man discipling and mentoring this young king. But when he died, verse 17, after the death of Jehoiada, the officials of Judah came and they bowed down to the king and the king listened to them. The second step that happens in this particular situation is that he begins to listen to ungodly counsel. He begins to listen to ungodly counsel. He brings in the young guys and gets rid of the old guys. He brings in his peers and he listens to them rather than the wisdom of those who've been around him. And so Jehoiada dies, and the officials come in, and the king listened to them. And what happens, look at verse 18, they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers. I served the Asherim, the idols. Wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem for this, for this, uh, their guilt. What happens is he begins listening to the wrong voices. He listens to ungodly counsel rather than godly counsel. He listens to faithless men rather than faithful men. He listens to the voice of the world rather than the voice of wisdom and the word. Whose voice are you listening to? Whose voice are you listening to? How many of you would come to me for counsel about hair products? <laughs> I mean, really. You can come to me if you want to know the latest about conditioners and mousses. I mean, really. I don't know, a couple of years ago, we, we do a grocery list together, Bev and I do, and... Uh, I, I do all the shopping in our family. It's a great time. It's a social hour. I see you guys in there all the time and visiting with folks and food that's right up my alley. So I do all the shopping. I just love it. So we make out a list, and I'm obsessive compulsive, so we make out the list, and I take the list, and I put it aisle by aisle. That way I know right where I'm going because I've got HEB memorized. I almost ended up in STC1 when they remodeled HEB and changed all that a few years ago. So we make out this list, and uh, on the list uh, is finishing spritz. I I don't know what that is. I mean, you know, Bev had written it down, and I did it, and I didn't ask what it was. And so I get to H-E-B, and uh, I'm wondering now, which aisle is that going to be on? She wasn't there when I put it all in order. And uh, finishing spritz, finishing spritz. I I don't know. Maybe it's on the flower aisle. 
So I asked some lady, and she says, well, that's a hair product. You need to go over there. So I end up in the hair product aisle. You ever go in that aisle? I mean, there's stuff all over the place. <laughs> How many different conditioners, shampoos, hairsprays, spritzes, mousses does somebody need in one lifetime? So I'm standing there. I have no idea what I'm looking for or where it is. And, and so this lady working there walks up to me and says, sir, can I help you? Obviously, I looked confused, and I needed help. And I said, yes, ma'am, I need finishing spritz. And she laughed right in my face. <laughs> And I don't blame her. But how many of you would come to me to find out about the flavors of Bluebell ice cream? Yeah. Yeah. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know I'm an expert on that. So who are you listening to? Where are you turning for advice? Where are you gone? What does Joash do? He brings in ungodly counselors. Oftentimes we listen to the voices of the faithless and of the world when we don't want to be told differently. That's what happens. We just mute it like we mute our GPS when they keep saying recalculating, recalculating, recalculating more sarcastically every time. You just hit the mute button and say, I'm going to shut you up. And we do that with the word and we do that with wise people when we don't want to hear what the word and wise people have to say. So we turn to Oprah and we turn to Rush and we turn to you fill in the blank. And that's what happened to Joash. His spiritual demise came about because he was pleasing man and not God because he was listening to ungodly counsel and thirdly he rejected righteousness. Next to verse 19, I have in my Bible written grace. This is God's grace. Yet, in spite of his abandoning all this stuff, yet God sent prophets to bring them back to the Lord. That's God's grace. God brought the voice of the prophet into the palace so that they could once again hear the way of the Lord. That is God's grace. When we stray, when we wander, when we fail, when we become unfaithful, by God's grace, the Word of God, the people of God, the wisdom of the people of God are sent into our lives by God to draw us back to Him. And this is amazing. I mean, so the, the whole logo or the whole branding that we have in front of you on the bulletins and the hallways is a picture of grace. It's a picture of the prophet calling out to the palace, return to the way of the Lord. And you are blessed if you have friends who call you back to the way of the Lord. And you are blessed when you listen to that voice and say, you know, you're right, I shouldn't treat my wife that way. You're right, I should stay at home. You're right, I shouldn't speak that way. You're right, I shouldn't do business that way. You are right in the marketplace, I shouldn't act that way. I should be the same man, the same woman I am on Sundays as I am, or the rest of the week as I am on Sundays. You are right, I am wrong, God bless you. Well, the prophets come to the king, and that is not what he does. The prophets come to the king, and at the end of verse 19, it says, they testified against them, and they would not listen. I've circled at the end of verse 17, the king listened to them. I circled verse 19, he would not listen. I've drawn a line between, he listened to the ungodly, but he rejected the righteousness of the godly. So what happens? You look at the next verse, the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah. By the way, this is not the same Zechariah, a later prophet who would write the book of Zechariah. It says the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of whom? Jehoiada, the priest. Jehoiada, the priest. This is Joash's stepbrother. I mean, when Joash 
when all his siblings were murdered and he was spared, Jehoiada the priest took him in. God in his wisdom says, I'm going to call you back to myself and to do that, I'm going to send godly Zechariah, your brother, the one you grew up with in the house of your father, Jehoiada, the one who has mentored you. I'm going to send him to call you to repentance. And you would think, if anybody's going to have the attention of the king, it's his godly brother who grew up with him, who's going to point him back to the way of the Lord. But what happens? He doesn't listen to the voice of his brother. By the way, some of you are brothers and sisters who've experienced this in your own family. You've pointed out the way to God, and you too have been rejected. God bless you. And what happens here? He says, God has said, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? Why do you not prosper? Because you've forsaken the Lord and he has forsaken you. So you would think, now Joash is going to repent. Now he's going to fall on his face and he's going to say, you are right, brother. I am wrong. We're going to follow after God. We're going to clean this thing up just as our dad Jehoiada did. But that's not what happened. Look at the next verse, verse 21. So they conspired against the king or they conspired against the prophet and at the command of the king, they stoned him to death. He had his own brother murdered in the temple. Joash did not remember the kindness his father Jehoiada had shown him, but he murdered his son, his brother. He rejected righteousness and he went the way of ungodly counsel and wicked people. The demise of Joash can be linked to three things. He pleased man, not God. He listened to ungodly counsel, and he rejected righteousness. If you want to be a spiritual failure, that's how you get there. Ahaziah, Athaliah, Joash. Royalty who became royal failures. You know, as I was processing this message and all the eight messages we've done now, from prophets and kings. We begin to discuss this in staff and say, what is God doing here? I mean, this is not exactly lifting up his chosen people. This is a mess. This is nasty. This is wrong. So what is God doing here? I mean, every time a prophet comes on the scene, they're rejected. The king goes the way of the world. And, and they turn their back upon God. What's going on here? Well, I think if we go up to the 30,000 foot level and ask the question, what is God doing with all the kings and prophets? I think the answer is this. God's people may fail, but God's plan will never fail. God's people will fail, but God's plan, the sovereign God of the universe, his plan will never fail. Let me look at it this way. The first prophet we looked at was a guy named Moses. He murdered an Egyptian. He ended up in exile. Moses failed. But God's plan didn't fail. He brought Moses back to free his people. Then we look at another king who was involved in adultery and murder, and David failed miserably. But God's plan didn't fail. And then we look at a guy named Jehoshaphat and he compromises in the marketplace and the military and in marriage and he failed, but God's plan didn't fail. 
Then we fast forward. We're going to look at another prophet uh, several weeks from now. This prophet said, I'm not going to go where you want me to go. And he bought a ticket to go in the opposite direction. He finds himself sinking in the sea. And God sends a fish and swallows him up. And Jonah failed miserably. But God's plan didn't fail because God wanted Nineveh to come to faith in Jehovah. And while Jonah failed, Jehovah didn't fail. Then there's a guy who's around a fireplace or a fire, not a fireplace. And he says, I don't know him. I don't know him. And he cusses and said, I never knew him. And Peter failed. But God's plan will never fail. And I fail. And you fail. But God's plan will never fail. After he preached his first message in a tent revival... It said of this evangelist, he was okay, but he'll never be as good as our Dr. Smythe. Billy Graham, in the eyes of some, failed, but God had a different plan. He had a different plan, and God's purposes were accomplished because God's plan never fails. Some of us are royal failures right now. We are not modeling Jesus, we're not walking with Jesus, we're not honoring Jesus. We are setting up generational sin within our families. Today's a day of calling you to repentance. I pray that you'll do that. Some of you have been honored and, and you are walking with God. You're honoring God. You've seen kids come to Christ, grandkids come to Christ. And, and now you're walking with Christ. You need to say, Lord, thank you. And I pray that I won't fail. No matter where we are, what we want to be are people. Who are about God's plan because His plan never fails. Father, that's our prayer. That's our prayer. Some have fallen far and some have fallen hard. And today, this morning, is a morning of repentance. Hear our prayers, O oh Lord. Prayers of confession, prayers to be restored, prayers to become faithful. Hear those prayers. Others of us, others of us, we have been hurt, we've been wounded. Generational sin has impacted us. We thank you for saving us, and we want to be those who walk closely with you. Others of us are blessed beyond belief, and we pray that we would not fail so there might be generational righteousness within our families. More than anything else, we say, great is our God who never fails. Your plan will always be purposeful. It will always be accomplished because of who you are. And for that, and in that, we find great security and great joy. And so we worship you, and we honor you, and we go our way adoring you. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.